Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. As Robin said, we are about to dive into a season of prayer and fasting as a church. Um, And We've got this 72-hour Bible reading and the names were put up. You could see the, the current update of the list up on the screen just before. There's still so many spots for people to fill out. And so it's a half an hour. You could break, if you're a family, you could break that down into little five-minute increments. Um, I'm really excited for the person who lands on the book of Numbers or, or, or Chronicles and gets to read out all the names. But here's the key. Don't be nervous. Sign up and just have confidence. Because if you don't know what a name is, but you read it confidently, every no one else knows what it is and they'll just believe you as well. So just go hard, go confident. Let's fill that up. In a church of well over a thousand people, 144 spots should go like that. So let's do it. Let's get on there. Let's read the Word of God. It's the biblical precedent that we saw in Nehemiah. And as the Word is proclaimed, it brings blessing. As we speak, life and death are in the power of the tongue. So let's declare the Word. Amen. So get on there and do that. And then we're launching into this 40 days of prayer and fasting. And here's what I've learned in the last week since talking about this more openly. The sense amongst our church is prayer. Yep kind of get it. Fasting, I'm a fraction nervous. Uh, There's sort of this, what, like, what is fasting? Why do we fast? How do we fast? Dave, 40 days? Are you telling me that I don't eat for 40 days? What do we do? And so that's what I thought we'd do today. We'd just take a moment to to dive into this concept of fasting, bring hopefully a little bit of biblical clarity around it so that as a church, we're like, ah, yes, that makes sense. And then we can dive in. Now, little thing just to say to start with, fasting, we could could do a 15-week series on fasting and we're trying to do it all in about one message, all right? So there's a lot more that could be said. My encouragement to everyone here in hearing this today, let this be the key in the ignition and first gear. And now take this and use it to go away and, and dive in a little bit. Do your own study, do your own research, do your own reading, listen to other voices on this. There's a lot of great stuff out there around the purpose of fasting, the power of fasting, the how of fasting. There's an enormous amount of information. There's great books. Can I please suggest don't get your information from TikTok? Less TikTok, more textbooks. Amen? That wasn't a very loud amen. Because you're all like, oh, I like the 60 seconds. No, no. We got to go a little deeper and we got to make sure they're credible people who are giving us this information. Just because someone doesn't have, has, just because someone has an opinion doesn't mean their opinion's valid. Right? Oh, come on, church. I know it's the eighth and I know it's warm. We need to get people who know what they're talking about and then feed on that. That's biblical. We want biblical wisdom. Okay, so that's what we're gonna do today. Um, the main text we're gonna look at is Romans 8. So you can stick your finger in Romans 8, particularly the, the first section there, verses one through 13, down maybe 17. Um, but a few foundational comments to answer those of you who are already feeling a little bit nervous. 
from Matthew 6. Let's go to Matthew 6, verse 16. This is Jesus speaking. This is, this is Jesus speaking. Do I need to say it again? Here's what he says. When, everyone say when. Underline, circle, highlight. When you fast. When you fast. Not if, not in case, not on the occasion you might. When you fast. Do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, everyone say Father, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So a couple of quick comments. First and foremost, in terms of uh, biblical truth, the Christian life incorporates fasting. This is written in the context of a, a message he's bringing about prayer. Now, none of us in this room would say that prayer is not an important part of Christian discipleship. We know that. He says, when you pray, do it this way, don't do it this way, or don't do it this way, do it this way. He then goes and says, when you fast, don't do it this way, do it this way. As far as Jesus is concerned, the message to his believers is that fasting is as important to the Christian journey as is prayer. The two go hand in hand, all through Scripture, prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting. The two go together. It matters, yeah? And it's something that particularly in our culture in the West and in our society that we've sort of pushed aside as a religious thing. Hey, I'm in Christ, I'm free. Yep, you are, awesome. But it's in terms of Jesus' understanding of what's gonna give the Christian life power and what's gonna give the Christian life uh, discipline and this sense of chasing after Him, fasting is an integral part of the Christian walk. That's the first thing. Second thing, fasting is not about fasting, it's about the Father. Fasting is not about fasting, it's about the Father. In my life, I have a practice of fasting, but that practice has grown over time. And when I first started this whole idea of fasting, I'll tell you what, it was all about the fast. And there were times where I'm counting calories, I'm concerned that I don't have the protein intake that I need to have. I'm, I'm so obsessed with trying to get the actual fast right and do it the right way. And my focus became all about fasting and my mind was so fixed on the fast that I was actually rarely even went to prayer. Like when I got hungry, instead of just doing what I'm supposed to do and just turn that to prayer, I just found I started thinking about the fast. Anyone been there? Really important that we understand that fasting is not about fasting. It's about the Father. It's about drawing near to the Father that the Father can begin to minister to His people. And we're gonna talk about that in a second. Now, I said this to someone else earlier, this whole idea that fasting is not about fasting. And they're like, oh, so what does that mean? Like, we just do whatever we wanna do and the fast doesn't matter. 
let's like, we're, in, we're under grace, not under law is what we're talking about here. So don't get legalistic about the fast, but at the same time, if you're gonna commit to the fast, then put things in place, have some accountability, lean into it. But if you make a mistake, don't beat yourself up or obsess over it. Turn that obsession to the Father. Yeah? Because we're under grace. So fasting uh, is a when, not an if. And fasting is, a, is not about fasting. It's about the Father. This is what Matthew Henry, great biblical commentator says. You ready for this? If the solemnities, which means seriousness, of our fasting, though frequent, long and severe, do not serve to put an edge upon devout affections, to quicken prayer, to increase godly sorrow and to alter the temper of our minds and the course of our lives for the better, they do not at all answer the intention and God will not accept them as performed to Him. Dio Moody says this, if I say I will fast when God's laid is on my heart, you never will. You are too cold and indifferent to take the yoke upon you. So D.L. Moody, one of the great uh, revivalists, uh, a, a beautiful um, preacher says fasting's important. But Matthew Henry would tell us that, hey, fasting is about the Father because we're after depth, not just a diet. Amen? We're after depth, not just a diet. Okay, so with those things said, Let's dive into this a little bit. What is fasting? What is fasting? Here's my, my definition in doing a lot of different reading. If you research fasting, you're gonna find all sorts of different people saying all sorts of different things. This is what I've come up with. Fasting is the intentional choice to temporarily go without primal needs for the express purpose of pursuing our greatest need, the very presence of God. I'll, I'll say it again so you've got time to write it down. Fasting is the intentional choice to temporarily go without primal needs for the express purpose of pursuing our greatest need, the very presence of God. Now, someone asked me a couple of weeks ago, why do I say primal needs? Why not food? Especially when the Bible, when you read Scripture, it seems like almost always in terms of a fast, the Scriptures talk about food, right? And I said to him, well, there is a biblical precedence where it's not about food. And that biblical precedence comes in 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul is talking to married couples. And in talking to married couples, he's talking about the importance of that marital children in the room, let's call it union, intimacy, and in talking about marital intimacy, he then says, except, so have marital intimacy, except by mutual consent and for a time so that you might devote yourselves to prayer. What's that? That's a fast. That's an intimacy fast. Some of you are looking at me like, gee, the food fast is looking pretty good right now. The point is that in Scripture, fasting isn't always food, but it is speaking about these, these primal needs, things that we actually need for our survival. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the whole idea of food, the whole idea of 
shelter, water, oxygen, clothing, human connection. He's saying these are these things that every human being actually needs. And some of those things, we can only fast for a couple of minutes without dying. So we're not gonna fast oxygen, all right? Some of those things like fasting water, people do that. I'm not gonna recommend as a church that we're fasting water, especially in the summer, okay? But something like food, which is a deep prominence, some of you might, don't fast clothes. <laughs> That's gonna be very awkward when you walk into church and you're at day 38. <laughs> some of you might choose to fast, like, you know, shelter. Who knows? But primal needs, that's where food's a good thing to fast because it is a primal need, but it's something that we can, you know, we can lean into there. Um, so that's, you know, that's something that's really important for us to grasp. And I hear what you're saying. You're saying, well, what about media? What about technology? What about, you know, Netflix, gaming, all these sorts of things? Yes, I, I hear what you're saying in that these things are things that could be good to fast, Right? because these things are kind of distraction. And there's this scholar by the name of Andrew Bonner who says, fasting is abstaining from anything that hinders prayer. So if these things are things you're going to for peace, if you're going to them for comfort, if you find that when you're under a bit of stress, your mind wanders, you go, I just want this distraction, then that's a good thing to fast, but it's a starting place. Because let me put something out there. If these things are becoming needs, then just maybe they're actually becoming an idol. And Jesus never told us to fast idols. He told us to kill them, to destroy them. So there are things that are primal needs that every human being without will die. There are things that have become needs that are actually comforts and it may just be that those comforts need to be killed off and they don't need a fast, what they need is a funeral. And I just want you to consider it as a church that if you're going, I need to fast Netflix, I need to fast social media, great. Like do it as a start, but ask yourself the question over the next couple of weeks, have they become a need? And if they've become a need, then they have become an idol, whether you like to admit that or not. And if they have become an idol, you don't fast from an idol, you kill it. And we need accountability and we need to get together and go, this thing, yep, I'm gonna start with 40 days without it. And I'm gonna see where I land. And if where I land is a longing for it, ooh, that thing has to go in a coffin. Is that Okay. I know we're, di we're going real deep, real early, and we may be hitting some sacred cows right here. But in the West, we have a whole lot of comforts, and you don't fast from comforts in terms of getting the fullness out of what a biblical richness of a fast is. The biblical fast calls us to fast needs. So lay the comforts aside, especially if they're a distraction. Again, a fast is not about a fast, it's about the Father. So if it's hindering prayer, absolutely lay it aside. But just do me the, ask yourself the question, is it a need? And if it's a need, consider more than a fast. Is that all right? Yes? Remember 1 Corinthians 6, all things are permissible, but I will not be enslaved by anything. 
Galatians 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. If these comforts are enslaving us, kill them. Because you haven't been called to be enslaved by anything. You have been called to lay these things aside and walk in the freedom that God has given us. And a fast is a great way to bring that to mind, to reveal those things, to have them exposed and then to deal with them. And here's the awesome thing. You can't deal with that yourself. You need the power of God. God is the one who kills the idols in our lives. God is the one who has the power to change us and transform us and do the work. And fasting is a gift that He has given us whereby we lean into Him and we allow Him to have mastery and therefore begin to affect that change in our lives. Fasting actually becomes a tool whereby God in His power can manifest His power to kill those things that shouldn't be on the throne of our lives. And so we lean into fasting in a season that we could experience transformation. Is that good? So that's sort of a really broad overview of what is fasting. Please keep talking about it. Please keep researching it. Talk about it in your life groups. Explore it together. Um, and let's see what God does. Now, why? Why should we fast? So if that's what fasting is, let's come a little deeper. Because if we know that there are things in our lives that, are, that have mastery over us and need to die, fasting can be such a powerful tool for this. And our text that we're gonna lean into here is Romans chapter eight. So open that up. But before we get there, because Romans eight will make a lot more sense in the context of Genesis two. And in Genesis 2, we see the creation account of how God makes a human being. And a human being is different from an animal. God creates everything, He speaks, and it is. When it comes to humanity, it says that God fashions us out of the dust of the earth. So we're made, there's this fashioning, a hand-made fashioning, and the human is flesh, but it's lifeless. And then what it says in Genesis 2:7 is that God breathed into them the breath of life and he became a living being. We just sung, it's your breath in my lungs. I don't know if we realise how powerful that is. It's not just talking about the breath oxygen that we breathe. It's speaking about the only reason we have life is because we're not just flesh, but the very breath of God has come into humanity, giving rise to a soul. And so in Genesis 2, what we see is we see the flesh, we see the spirit, which is what the Hebrew word is nishma, everyone say nishma. And so the spirit comes in and it says the, the breath of life. And that life word is sort of this it's a really interesting Hebrew word, which means things like activity. Like it speaks to this whole idea of the, the light behind the eyes. It speaks to this idea of, you know, the synaptic connections in a brain, which go and make things happen. And so you can see in Genesis 2 that a human being is flesh or body, mind, that life word and spirit. That what makes a human being is flesh, spirit, mind, all as one, And that's where it then says he became a living being. Hebrew word is nefesh. Everyone say nefesh. How are you going on January the 8th in 30 degree heat with a bit of Hebrew? And nefesh 
can be translated being or soul. So it's this picture that the human soul is flesh, spirit, mind. And they're all interconnected. They're all, that's what makes us different from everything else. These things all work in as one. And that's what gives rise to the human being. And so with that understanding that there's these three elements, makes sense, we're created in the image of God and He's Trinitarian. So there's this little picture that God leaves to go, hey, 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 there's something about you that points to me. And so we see this part of human uh, of a human being, right? And then when you come to Romans 8, this is where it gets really, really good. Because in Romans 8, this is gonna be, we're gonna read 13 verses. Listen, follow along, underline as you go, because it's important that we grasp this, because this makes sense in the light of that. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the picture of Romans 8 is we know what we are. We are flesh, mind, spirit. We know that in Genesis 3, what happened? This thing called the fall, where we sin. And and the Lord said to Adam, if you take of the fruit, you will surely die. Adam then lived for like 900 years. But the thing is that Adam was created to be immortal. But the spirit was corrupted in that moment. Yes, at the fall. So that there was flesh and there was mind, but now the seed in man, in humanity, is corrupt. The whole idea of when we come to Christ by faith is that which is dying within us is put to death at the cross. And it is buried in the tomb and then raised to life in Him. It's why we talk about being reborn, as John Wesley would say, or the new birth, or a new creation, as Paul would say. This whole idea that that we have to be coming alive to Christ. And so the Holy Spirit comes and indwells a believer and changes the spirit within us. It's a righteous seed, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the spirit has been made alive. And that spirit that is now the righteousness of God in Christ is alive in me, indwelling in corrupt flesh. And here's what he says next. So this is, that's the premise. That's a lot of theology in a very short period of time and I hope you're okay. But watch this, verse five. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, the new seed, have their mindset and what the Spirit desires. The mind governed, everyone underlined governed, by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. However, 
you are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is, your flesh is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Verse 12, here's the killer, kicker. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, oh, this is so good. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So if by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Do you see the Genesis 2 picture in Romans 8? Did you see that? Mine, you went, mm. how are we going? Come on church, this is good stuff church. This, I know it's January 8, but you asked for it. We're fasting in a few days time. Spirit, mind, flesh. The mind will either be governed by the flesh or it will be governed by the spirit if you are in Christ. The question is, which one will you be governed by? Here's where fasting comes in. Why do we fast? Because fasting is a gift, not an obligation. It is a gift from God that trains us, trains our minds to be governed by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Fasting is a tool against temptation. When we fast, what we are doing is we are, uh, we are forcing our minds to dethrone the flesh and enthrone the Spirit. We are, what we are doing is saying, the flesh will not have mastery over me, but the Spirit will. And so you put the Spirit on the throne and you say these primal needs for a season, for a time, will not govern no matter how strong that desire gets. Or church, imagine if Esau had a practice of fasting. Some of you are like, who's Esau? Esau's the guy who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. He comes back and he's like, I'm so hungry. And Jacob's there like, well, give me your birthright and I'll give you the bowl. And he goes, no worries, I'm gonna die. No, you're not Esau. You could probably survive another two hours and make yourself a bowl of soup. But here's the thing, this is a great picture for us. So often we're governed by the flesh. Where our eyes see something we think, I must have but it's corrupt and it will lead to death. Imagine how different everything would be if Esau had just had a practice of fasting in his life and when he saw that bowl, he went, oh, no, 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 the birthright's worth so much more than that temporal need. I'm laying that aside and I'm gonna pick up the presence of God. Everything would be different. This is the gift God has given us, that we would be a people who would actually practice. How do you get better at shooting free throws? You don't just rock up in a game and shoot, you practice. How do you get better at music? Pete didn't just come up here today for the first time and just hit those beautiful things. 
It's a life of practice. How do we do anything well in life? Practice. Do you think God knows that? Do you think He understands the vessels that He's created? And do you think He goes, hey, I'm gonna give you a gift. It's called fasting, which will help you so that when temptation comes against you, you will not just fall to it, but rather you will stand up underneath it, recognising that is, that is a, maybe it's a primal need, maybe it's just something that's coming against, maybe it's my corrupt flesh, but I will not bow down to that because I am not governed by the flesh, I am governed by the Spirit. And if I am governed by the Spirit, then my mind is set on spiritual things because I understand, I feel like preaching because I understand what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that I have a treasure in this jar of clay that within my flesh is an eternal, glorious treasure, a weight of glory that outshines and outlasts and is so much better than anything the earth can offer. So I'm gonna enthrone the Spirit of God. I'm gonna give Him mastery. I'm gonna give Him lordship of my life because I know, because I know, because I know that He is worth so much more than anything the world can throw my way. And fasting is a gift God has given to teach us how to do it. How good is God? And so when we fast, the flesh is dethroned and the spirit is enthroned. That is God's desire for each and every one of us, that we would understand the treasure. And instead of living in the trash, we would value the treasure. Sometimes what we do is we push the treasure aside and we celebrate the trash. It's like we roll around in the bin of the flesh going, oh, how wonderful this is, until you realise, actually, that's really filthy. It's like eating KFC. It's great in the moment. And then you finish and you think, oh, good Lord, what have I done? Come on, somebody, you all know what I'm talking about. Them special spices aren't that special. <laughs> but when you know the treasure, amen, fasting teaches us to value the treasure. When we know the treasure, the trash is exposed for what it is. No one wants to roll in the trash when you can roll in treasure. I wanna be seated upon treasure. I know that I'm seated with Christ on high, that there is an immeasurable, innumerable, incredible treasure that He has given us, the inheritance of the saints. Or as 2 Corinthians calls us the light of the glory as revealed in the face of Christ. That's our treasure. That's our treasure. And so this is why we fast. When we fast, we intentionally tell our flesh that we will not be governed by our primal desires, but rather our desires will exist in submission to the will of God. Andrew Murray says this, prayer is reaching out after the unseen, 
Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express, deepen, confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. That's a pretty good quote. Fasting doesn't make us any more righteous. It just reveals His righteousness as available to us. We don't fast because we have to to earn our salvation. We fast because we get to within our salvation. Fasting increases spiritual weight, not because it makes us a more glorious person. It's because it makes us more aware of the glory that has come to each and every one of us. And as we wait upon God, as we come intentionally to dethrone the flesh, as we wait upon His presence, we gain wisdom. Why? Do I fast like I've got a decision to make? I better fast as if fasting is some sort of religious seancey thing. No, no, no. See, what happens when we fast, the Spirit is enthroned and the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, etc. And so as we fast and as the Spirit is enthroned within our lives, where we didn't have peace, we get peace because peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Where we didn't have patience, we get patience because patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Where we didn't have love for someone, we get love for someone because love is a fruit of the Spirit. And we gain wisdom because God is wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When I die to the flesh and I enthrone the Spirit and God is Lord over all things, I will gain wisdom because instead of being governed by the flesh and all that goes with it, I'm seeking and hearing from Him with clarity. Fasting is not about the fast, it's about the Father. Band, you can come up, we gotta close. Kids are making noise, it's hot, you've done amazingly well. There's so much more we could say. And again, I would love to just keep talking and talking and talking about this. Do some reading, do some research. I hope this has been a little bit helpful, but I wanna finish quickly, really, really practically. How do we fast? There's a whole bunch of different ways you can fast, right? So over the next 40 days, it's up to you. If you're married, talk to your spouse, figure out what you wanna do. If you've got a family, talk as a family, what do we wanna do? If you're single, fantastic, you and God, just sit down and go, God, what do you want me to do? You have that freedom to just lean in. But here's what you can do. You can do a whole, you could do a dry fast, which is no food, no water. This is what Jesus did. For 40 days, it's supernatural. You could say, we're not gonna eat anything for 40 days. I'm not gonna recommend that for our church. But if God tells you to do a 40 day whole fast with water, make sure you have accountability and people looking after you. And lean into Him in a big, big way and lean into others. And remember, it's not about the fast, it's the Father. So if you're starting to get very, very unwell, God's not gonna judge you for having something just to brighten your eyes, okay? Partial fast. So a partial fast is you could choose to miss meals. So you could say, okay, I'm gonna fast uh, breakfast and lunch on a particular day, every day. Or you could say that you're gonna fast particular days within a week. You could say, I'm not gonna eat anything on a Monday and a Thursday or whatever that might be. But then every other day I'm gonna eat. Like, so there's different ways you can go about it. There's intermittent fasting. So I'm only gonna eat between the hours of 
X and X, X and Y, I should say. Sorry, mathematicians. So you choose where it is that you wanna eat within a day. You could choose to eat, you know, there's so many examples of what that could be. Um, the fast I'm gonna do, our family's gonna do, we're gonna do the Daniel fast. So the Daniel fast is what we see in the book of Daniel where he effectively didn't eat any of the fun stuff. So he didn't eat meat, didn't drink you know, wine, it was water, vegetables. So there's the Daniel fast. There's again, a, so much information out there about how that works, what that can look like. That's what we're gonna do as a family. Um, as we lean into this 40-day season. It's up to you to, to pray and discern how the Lord will lead you in that. Um, but do it prayerfully because the fast is not about the fast, it's about the Father. Do it prayerfully. Ask Him. Let Him lead and guide you. Let Him direct your steps as you engage in this season. Is that all right? Has that been helpful? I hope that's been helpful for everyone here who's been asking questions around this. Let's stand to our feet. Let's just take a moment to pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are the giver of good gifts. We thank You that every good gift comes from above. And therefore, fasting is a gift. Fasting is not something you command us to do because you like to see your people suffer. Fasting is a gift that you have given us to facilitate prayer, to draw us nearer to your presence, to open our eyes to your wonders and your glory and to reveal the treasure, the, the richness of the treasure that you have put in these jars of clay. Father, I pray for each and every one of us as we press into this season of fasting, that the Spirit would be enthroned upon our hearts and the flesh would be dethroned. Lord, that we would become more like You. That the dross would fall off. That things we've maybe wrestled with, battled with in the flesh for a while would be pierced by the nails of your beautiful cross. Father, I pray that as your Spirit is enthroned upon the hearts of your people, that we would begin to see an outpouring of fruit, transformation of lives, and we would begin to see an outpouring of your gifts, that we would begin to see you truly have mastery over the way we live our lives, over the way we think, over the way we act. Lord, over the decisions we make, not just personally, but professionally. Have mastery, Lord. Have mastery, Lord. May our minds not be governed by the flesh, but may they be governed by the Spirit, we pray. In the precious Name of Jesus and all God's children said, God bless you.
Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.